All right. Hey, good morning, y'all. It feels good out this morning, doesn't it? It feels like I'm living back in the north again. I know that's blasphemy to say that. I feel like I'm back in Ohio. Um, hey, by the way, we love KC. Looking forward to that coming up. We do, for those of you that signed up to serve, we do have a brand new redemption t-shirts. I'm not trying to bribe you all through that to serve, but you know, hopefully God will convict you to serve. And if he has to use a t-shirt to do it, so be it. Um, I'll let him do that. But we do have those coming up. So sign up to serve. We'd love to have you out. Uh, so we're in week number 10 of this series. We're wrapping up this week and next week. The series called 10 Words to Live By based on a book of the same name by Jen Wilkin. We're, we've been diving into the 10 commandments, the 10 words, the Decalogue, and just diving into it and seeing more about what the Lord has has for us in these 10 words and what he's calling us to, an expansive obedience. It's more than uh, just at, at face value, but how is God calling us to, to live in light of what he's done for us? And so uh, I've enjoyed the series. Let me do a quick review for you. Uh, divide up these 10, 10 words into two parts. The first four have to do with honoring God. Uh, and so we've seen um, the, the 10 commandments talk about no other gods before me, no carved images, uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So it's about rest. And then these last six words are all about honoring man who, are, who is made in the image of God. And so started with uh, marriage, honoring father and, or, sorry, honoring father and mother, then uh, moving into do not murder, do not commit adultery, which is marriage. Uh, and then last week, do not steal. So today we move into the ninth out of 10 words. Uh, today's sermon is called Honor Reputation. So this goes along with chapter nine uh, in the book. Uh, and this is the ninth word. It is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So I want to have you, as we start this, this morning, I want you to think of a courtroom scene, all right? Think of a courtroom scene and think of when someone takes the stand to provide testimony. Uh, what are they doing? They're going through this, they, they begin by going through this swearing-in process, and what they're doing is, is making an oath or an affirmation that they're going to tell the what? The truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. What are the next three words? So help me God. So help me God. Four words. Sorry. Um, Sunday brain's already kicking in. All right. So help me God. So the truth. Why is this part of the process? Well, it's because if justice is going to occur, it must be based upon truth. It must be based upon truth. In the Ten Commandments, what God is doing is, as he's establishing his people in this community, in, this, in the nation of Israel, what he's doing is he's establishing rules and laws and boundaries to govern how uh, humans are to uh, relate to him and to one another. He's trying to create the foundation of a just society, right? And so we need truth uh, in order to have justice. Justice depends upon truth. You can't achieve justice based on untruthful or false testimony. You need truth. And so as I've been thinking of this kind of courtroom scene and this picture, uh, my mind has gone back because we, we, we have all kinds of examples and illustrations of courtroom drama, right? In real life, on the, the big screen, the little screen. So my mind goes back to, uh, you know, the, the 80s when we had court TV comes, you know, we've got uh, old Judge Wapner. Anybody remember People's Court back in the day? Maybe you've seen the, the movie Rain Man. I automatically think of that movie. Um, in the 90s, along comes Judge Judy with all her silliness and nonsense and is on the air forever. Um, so you have court TV. We have, we've had famous televised 
uh, court trials. Uh, my mind goes back to my teenage years and college years of, you know, uh, O.J. Simpson. There's been many, many famous televised trials. O.J. Simpson uh, is the one if the glove doesn't fit. You know, you know that whole thing. Um, I remember, uh, obviously, the, the most recent one that comes to mind is uh, Hits Close to Home, uh, the whole Alec Murdoch uh, trial um, here. Um, so we've had famous televised trials. Uh, I think of how we've had these court dramas on the small screen. So I think it goes all the way back to the 50s. If I'm not mistaken, Perry Mason was kind of the first one back in the 50s. Um, when I was in my young adult years, I remember a show called The Practice that was uh, a good show. And then the Law and Order came out and all its, you know, 15 or 20 spinoffs, right? That's, and that's been on the air for 20, uh, the air for 20 plus years. Um, then I think of also the big screen. So maybe you would go the comedy route. Maybe you think of My Cousin Vinny. I know some of you, that's where your mind goes. Uh, I remember an old classic called 12 Angry Men that, uh, that I was forced to watch in eighth grade, in eighth grade class. And uh, I didn't really care about it then, but I think it was a pretty good flick, uh, a classic movie. Um, I would still argue that the most iconic courtroom scene um, in cinematic history comes from the movie A Few Good Men. Okay, that's what I would claim. Um, there's this, obviously, the iconic classic scene where, you know, Tom Cruise says, I want the truth, and Jack Nicholson famously says, what? You can't handle the truth. I don't know if I can get you all to quote scripture, but I can get you to quote <laughs> A Few Good Men, all right? So y'all are capable. You're capable. Uh, you can't handle the truth, right? It's such a classic, classic moment in cinematic history. Well, so well, other than being two iconic actors in this, this intense moment, like, I think one of the reasons it's so classic is because it speaks to uh, this need that we have. And the, the, the whole point of the justice system is that we need truth. It's based upon truth. Justice requires truth. Therefore, to, uh, to bear false witness is to oppose the truth. To bear false witness against your neighbor is to live or to act in an unjust way. So this ninth word, at the heart of it, this is the bottom line for this morning, at the heart of the ninth word is the necessity of truthful talk. Truthful talk, all right? So I wanna invite you to stand with me. If you have your Bibles, uh, open to Exodus chapter 20. Even if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. Why don't you stand with me? We're gonna read. This is God's truth, uh, God's word. It's truth, it is life. God reveals himself to us. He reveals our needs and he reveals his provision to us through Christ. And so Exodus 20, this is what God's word says, starting in verse one. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, you shall not steal. Uh, verse number 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. And so, God, thank you this morning for the truth that you have revealed to us, God, that we, we have declared with our lips that we need you. And God, I'm just grateful this morning that you have revealed yourself in your provision to us. God, you have made yourself available to us in our need. And you have provided fully for our deepest needs, Lord, every single one of them in Christ. And so God, thank you this morning for your word that we can gather together around it because of it, because of what you have done for us. And so, Lord, we worship you. We ask that you would meet with us. We ask that you would reveal yourself uh, even deep, uh, more deeply today. God, as we dive into this, this ninth word, help us to, as in all of these other words, help us to delight in doing what you have called us to, realizing it is for our good and for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would have open uh, eyes and ears and hearts. I pray, God, that you would convict us where necessary, that we would repent and that we would turn towards you. Um, God, encourage us uh, where we need to be encouraged. Uh, Lord, we, we love you and we want to submit to you today and we want to uh, honor you. And so I pray that you'd help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? Thank you for, for standing with me. So Exodus 20, verse number 16, word number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, this is another application of the great commandment that Jesus made that all the, the law and the prophets fit into the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is another application of that, that second portion, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Jen Wilkin in her book, I'm going to reference her quite a few times this morning uh, in this chapter, chapter 9 of 10 Words to Live By. Uh, I like how she phrased it when she talked about words 6, 7, and 8. God basically says, don't take your neighbor's life, your neighbor's wife, or his stuff. Don't take your neighbor's life, wife, or stuff. And then as we move into number nine, what he basically extends this, and he says, don't take his or her good name. Don't take his or her good name. So you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. A lot of times when we hear this, the way that we've learned it or the way that we explain it is very simple. Don't lie right? Don't lie. But I think it's, it goes beyond that as we've seen in all of these, these commandments. Of course, lying is, is sin. It is opposed to the truth. Uh, so it is, it is sin. But this, this command is more particular. It's not just lying in general. It's, it's, it's speaking in regards to another person. So it has to do with how we speak of and how we speak to our neighbors. It has to do with how we speak of and to our neighbors. So Jen Wilkin in this chapter, she says it this way. The testimony you bear about your neighbors in everyday moments will shape your life and theirs for good or for ill. 
The testimony you bear about your neighbors in everyday moments will shape your life and theirs for good or for ill. So how we speak to and of others is, is so important. And what Jen Wilkin goes on to say is that this is similar in a way to the third word, which says to not take the Lord's name in vain. It's about honoring his name. Uh, and this ninth word is, is about how we are called to honor the name of our neighbor, to honor the name and the reputation of our neighbor. So in, in the book, what, what Jen Wilkin does a really good job of is, is talking about four habits of untruthful speech, Four habits of untruthful speech. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to kind of summarize these for you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any of these, but I want to walk through these. If you would like to dig in more, I'd encourage you to read chapter 9 of, of that book this week. If you need a copy, I've got a couple left. I can uh, come see me at Next Steps. I'd love to hand one to you. Uh, let's walk through these four habits of untruthful speech. Number one, she mentions, is reviling. Reviling, So this has the idea of mocking or scoffing. Uh, it's closely related to slander, to gossip. It's how we speak of, of others. Jen Wilkin says this, and this is a pretty convicting quote uh, to me as those who serve and live in the midst of the modern church. She says, in the modern church, perhaps nothing attests more to our current level of biblical illiteracy than our casual thoughtless and frequent commission of the sin of reviling. She's, she's saying that, you know, in this generation, what is true in, in general of our generation is that we are biblically illiterate people, that we really don't know the scriptures, right? And she says the, the, probably the greatest proof of that is how we casually and thoughtlessly and frequently break, you know, we commit the sin of reviling, the way that we speak of others. And here, here's the way that I would summarize reviling. It's tearing down our neighbor. Right? It's the way we speak of our neighbor in a way that tears them down. And, and so this is, to me, probably the, the most convicting of, of the four, because this is something we do so often, and, and I would say most of the time, we don't even, we don't even understand. We don't even realize that we're doing it. And I think this has always been an issue with, with mankind, but even more, I would say, in our generation because uh, of the proliferation of online communication, right? Social media. It's so easy to post something or comment on something and give our opinion about what we think of someone who tear, that, that tears people down. In fact, I, I bet you that if you would this week focus on like thinking about how you speak about people, like I kind of have over the last few days as I've been prepping this message, it's like at the forefront of my mind. And so I catch myself just like time after time going, oh my goodness, that, that, that kind of falls into that category. You know what I'm saying? Like over and over and over. I, I, would, I would hazard a guess that if we could come to the end of our day, and you, you name the day, whatever day of the week, if God were to provide us with a transcript of, of our communication that day and how we've spoken and publicly or, you know, in these little moments in our kitchen, our living room, in our bedroom, like in all of our life, if we were to have a transcript at the end of the day, I think we would be shocked and surprised and probably horrified if this was the transcript that God gave us of what he heard us speak during the day. That's been my conviction as I've thought through this week is, man, how often, how 
how casually do I just throw around words about others? And, and there's, there's a verse here that I want to read. Proverbs 12, 18, I think speaks to this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It's this idea that there's times where we use our words in a rash way that it's like sword thrusts. It's like cutting. And how often do we cut at people with our words? And so this is this, this sin, this habit of untruthful speech called reviling. James 3.10, another incredibly convicting verse. James, and, and you'll see some references to, to James throughout this morning because James speaks a lot about the power of the tongue. And in James chapter 3, verse number 10, James says this really convicting word. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So he says the same mouth that we use to, to bless God, to worship his name, is the same mouth that spews forth cursing towards man who was created in his image. And James says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. This isn't how we are to speak of, of, of others. So this is that first habit, reviling. Number two in the book is flattery. She mentions flattery. I think we all understand what flattery is. Here's how Jen Wilkin defines it. Flattery is manipulation masked as praise, often employed to artificially enhance trust or secure favor. I, I read that artificially enhance and I saw that last word as flavor. You know what I'm talking about? Just, just welcome to my weird mind. Um, it's, it's this idea, flattery is, so the Bible calls us to speak words that are, we talked about a few weeks ago, life-giving, that, that build up. Uh, so we're called to encourage with our words, and yet flattery, we understand, is, is manipulation. It's, it's exaggerated. It's not for the benefit of the hearer. It's more for, for my benefit. I'm flattering you so that you'll think more highly of me, or so that I'll gain your trust, or so I can get something from you. This is what flattery is. It's, it's words that are, are masked. Uh, and this is what, what the writer, again, of Proverbs, that we see again a lot in Proverbs. Proverbs speaks over and over to how we speak in our words and how the, the wise and the foolish use their, their, their words. In Proverbs 26, the writer says this in verses 24 through 28. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. So he, there's this disguise. He's, he's saying one thing outwardly, and yet it's, it's incongruent with what's going on in his heart. He's disguising himself in his hatred. Verse 25, when he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. That's very specific, seven of them. Uh, Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. When it speaks of the assembly, it's talking about it at the time of judgment, which we'll get to that in a couple minutes. His wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Verse 28, a lying tongue hates its victims. And here it is, a flattering mouth works ruin. And so this is that second habit of untruthful speech. It's, it's flattery. So we have reviling. We have number two, flattery. Number three, we have silence. She talks about silence. And here's how she describes this. There are times when we are unsure whether to speak or remain silent. But if we know our words are needed 
and yet we withhold them, we are as guilty of bearing false witness as the reviler who began the lie. So when we're in a moment when we know, we're not sure whether to speak or remain silent, but we know our words are needed and yet we remain silent, this is, this is to, the same as to bear false witness. Uh, so, so one of the great verses in Scripture in the New Testament, James 1, verse 19, it talks about being quick to hear and, and slow to speak. And, you know, the author, Jen Wilkin, she says, sometimes we use this as an excuse. We excuse away our silence by saying, well, the Bible tells me to be slow to speak. And yet, there are certain moments where God calls you to speak up and to speak truth. And sometimes what, what, what this is calling us to is, hey, don't be a coward in those moments where truth is needed. When you have the opportunity to speak it, stand up and speak up and bear true witness. Bear true witness. Again, James verse 4, verse 17, James says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So sometimes we want, like, we want black and white categories for our sin. Is it right or is it wrong? Give me black and white. And what James says is there are times when God is calling you specifically to do something. The Holy Spirit is leading you to do something or say something. And he says when you disobey him, when you fail to do it, he says for you it is sin. And so there are moments, there are moments, and I know we all face this, where it's like, do I, do I say something? Do I keep my mouth shut? Sometimes... Uh, you know, it's wisdom to, to let your words be few. And there are times when God says, this is your opportunity to speak truth. You have a neighbor, a friend, a brother, a sister who is, who is their name is not, and their reputation is not being honored. Speak truth in this moment. And that is when, sometimes when we commit this sin of, of silence, when God has called us to bring true witness into that moment. And so reviling, flattery, Number three, silence. Fourth and final one is misattribution. This habit of untruthful speech. This fourth one is misattribution. So this is when we, when we give credit or blame to the wrong source. This is how Jen Wilkins says it in the book. The sin of misattribution tempts us either to garner credit or shift blame at our neighbor's expense. We bear false witness when we allow our own name to receive glory that belongs to another. So I would, I would say, you know, it's when we mis, uh, misattribute something to the wrong source. So sometimes that's shifting blame that belongs to us. And y'all, this goes all the way back to the garden, right? With Adam and Eve and their sin where, where um, Adam says, well, the woman made me do it. And the woman says, well, the devil made me do it, right? This is shifting blame that belongs to us. And so sometimes we misattribute, uh, we shift blame that belongs to us, or we take credit that belongs to another. We receive credit that belongs to another. This is this fourth and final habit of untruthful speech, misattribution. We take glory that doesn't belong to us, or we shift blame that lies squarely on our shoulders. And so these four thoughts are uh, really convicting. If you want to dive in deeper and receive more conviction from the Holy Spirit, I'd encourage you to read chapter 9 in, in the book, Ten Words to Live By. Um, but, but here, for me, in this chapter, maybe the most convicting thought uh, that, the, that the author shared was not a new idea. It's something I already know. It's something that I think we're all kind of aware of. 
It's an age-old truth and reality. She said this, we will give an account for every word. We will give an account for every word. And of course, she was quoting from Jesus, who in Matthew 12 talks about in the day of judgment, God is going to, we're going to give an account to God for every word, every careless or idle word we've spoken. And to me, that's incredibly convicting, and that's incredibly weighty. And what I want to say this morning is this. If you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with God, you don't have to fear punishment, right? Because Jesus has already took the punishment for us. But I do believe that for most of us, in many, many ways, we will grieve on that day when we have to give an account for every one of our words. Because we speak very many idle words or careless, thoughtless words. And so... Let's move into this, this next question. In light of that reality that we will give an account, how, how do we live in light of this? What do we do? How do we live in obedience? How do we live in expansive obedience to this ninth word? And I want to suggest this morning, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, is I want to suggest one verse. I want to suggest one verse that if we, by God's grace, would seek to live this verse out fully... I believe that we wouldn't have to you know, spend any time worrying, am I, am I breaking the ninth commandment? Because I believe if we seek to, again, by God's grace, obey this, this word, this verse, uh, we will be practicing a more expansive obedience. And so that verse is Ephesians 4, verse number 29. So I was tempted with this, the, the habit of misattribution. Uh, if you are here last week, uh, you may remember we focused on one verse. It was Ephesians 4, verse 28, that says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work with his hands, laboring uh, to do good work. And so uh, that was the verse last week. We're focusing on the very next verse this morning, Ephesians 4, 29. I could have, there's part of me that's like, I plan that. I'm such a good planner. I plan to focus on one verse and the very next. I didn't do that, all right? Uh, glory to God for that. But I do want to focus on this verse because I think, I think pound for pound, this verse is the most powerful verse in, in the scriptures about how we are to speak and how we are not to speak, all right? Ephesians 4, verse number 29. If you remember the context last week, the book of Ephesians, first three chapters, Paul is unpacking the questions, who is God? What has he done? In light of that, who has he made me to be? Now, the last half of the book of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, 6, is all about how do we live? How do we, how, what do we do? How do we live in obedience to that? Last week he said, let the thief no longer steal. Uh, verse number 29, here is what Paul says. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let me read that one more time, then we're going to unpack that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4, verse 29. So I want to, I want to break this up into two parts, a, a negative part and a, a positive part. So Paul instructs us in this way, the first part, negative. Negatively, he says, eliminate corrupt communication. Eliminate corrupt communication. The reason I worded it that way is because when I memorized uh, this verse years ago, Ephesians 4.29, I memorized it in the King James translation, and I love the way it, it, would, it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And here in Ephesians 4.29, the ESV that we're reading from says, let no corrupting talk 
come out of your mouths. In other words, clean up your communication. Anything that's, that's corrupt, man, clean that up. Clean it out. Get rid of it. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So maybe you're like me. The very first thing I think of when I think of corrupt talk coming out of my mouth, uh, I don't know where your mind goes to. My mind thinks of profanity, right? And I would say absolutely start there. Uh, start with that. When, when I came to Christ, I didn't grow up in church, came to Christ uh, just shy of my 17th uh, birthday. And you know, you know, the first thing I had to try to figure out as a, as a teenager who was starting to go to church, I had to try to figure this out, how to like eliminate corrupt talk. Because I'm, I'm telling you, I remember from, I remember as early as second grade, Man, I was a good moral kid, but I talked like a sailor, right? From the moment, that moment on, I just remember, man, I'm not with my parents, not with any respectable adults, but man, my language was coarse. It was cursing all the time. And I remember coming to Christ and all of a sudden it was like, okay, I got to, I got to kind of clean this, this junk up. You know what I'm saying? And this is, so I would say start there for sure. Clean up your language. And I would, I would, so, so let me give you a little bit of grace here, all right? I understand that sometimes a hammer goes awry and, you know, nails your thumb and a word slips out or a driver cuts you off. Listen, I think there's grace um, for those moments. God will forgive you. Um, but I would encourage you, if you struggle with this, like with the way you speak and the language you use, I would encourage you to think about the word I just used. So sometimes we use the word cursing, cussing. That was the one we always used. Think of the word profanity. You know what profane means? It means not holy, doesn't honor the Lord. And so profanity, we want to cut that out because it doesn't honor the Lord. For, so, for some of you, that's the very first place to start. And I encourage you to do that. But I think it extends beyond just profanity. I think it extends to talk that is dirty or filthy or suggestive or off color uh, a couple words I would use would be worthless, We're using worthless language, using, here's another word, unprofitable, right? It doesn't profit anybody. It doesn't do any good for anybody that's listening. He says, eliminate corrupt communication. And I think we, we understand that. Ephesians 4, verse 25, a, a verse, just a couple verses before, this is what Paul says. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, remember, this is who God is, what he's done, who he's made us to be. We're, we're in Christ. We're children of God. He says, therefore, because this is who you are, he says, we've put away falsehood. And so let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of, one, uh, of another. So part of becoming a new, a new creation is in Christ is, man, we put away that stuff. And so we eliminate corrupt communication. Eliminate corrupt communication. I do want to give God glory because over years, I cleaned up my language, all right? Um, I am not the cussing pastor that, you know, I could be. Uh, so eliminate corrupt communication. That's the negative aspect of this. Let me focus on the positive. Only speak what is EFG, okay? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Only speak what is E, F, G. What is E, F, G? Edifying, fitting, gracious. Only speak what is edifying, fitting, gracious. And I want to walk through these in, in Ephesians 4, 29. So if we go back to that verse, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. So this is that first one, edifying. 
only speak what is EFG, edifying. So this idea of building up, you think of the word, uh, the biblical word is edify or edifying. It's the same as that word edifice. It's, It's a building, it's a building up. Paul says, only speak what is edifying, what builds others up. So it encourages, it, it helps, it is, it is honest, truthful language. It is constructive. Uh, let me say this, sometimes it is difficult to build somebody up. It's not just speaking flowery words, right? Just not just flattering words, but sometimes it's, it's difficult words. It's hard truth, speaking truth with the goal of building somebody up only speak what is, what is edifying. One of my favorite like, go-to verses on this is Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better, so it's better to receive rebuke from somebody than just somebody to say, well, I love you, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to interfere. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Why? Verse number 6, because faithful are the wounds of a friend, Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Here, here's what the writer is saying. He's saying that if somebody is, is truly a friend, if somebody truly loves you, they will be faithful to sometimes speak hard truth that will, that will wound you, that will hurt you, that will feel feels like it cuts you. But it ultimately is for your good and it is to build you up. And the writer says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But anybody who's blowing you kisses and speaking, you know, sweet nothings in your ear, man, they, they're full of it. You need friends who are faithful to wound you with truth that will build you up. We all need that. People who will speak into our, our blind spots for, for our good and for the glory of, of God. We need to be edified. It's ultimately for the purpose of conforming us to the image of Christ. And so only speak what is EFG, edifying. The second thing is this, fitting. Only speak what is fitting. Go back to Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, here's the next phrase, as fits the occasion. As fits the occasion. Man, these four words are so important. As fits the occasion, it means it fits the moment. If it fits the moment, the the time, the place, the person, it fits. It is not out of place. It's it's, in many ways, it's about timing. Y'all realize that um, it is possible to say the right thing at the wrong time? You realize that? Let me give you an example. One of the greatest verses in the Bible uh, is Romans 8.28. We'll see it in our next series. We'll start in two weeks. We'll be going through verse by verse through Romans chapter 8, my favorite Bible uh, verse in the Bible. Uh, Romans 8.28, incredible verse. You all know what it says? It says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what it tells us is that man, God takes the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. He works everything together for our good ultimately. Incredible truth that we need to know. And yet y'all realize there is a time that's not fitting to share that verse with somebody. If somebody has just gone through something traumatic and devastating and heartbreaking, that's not the moment where you say, well, you know what? 
God's going to take this thing that you hate and you despise, and he's going to use it for your good. Listen, that's not very helpful in those moments. And sometimes we as Christians have been guilty of just like, hey, let me give you the coffee mug verse that's going to encourage you, but it's not encouraging. It doesn't fit the moment. It doesn't fit the occasion. That's what he's, he's speaking to. It's about timing in a lot of ways. I love the way the, the new uh, American Standard, the NASB translation, uh, words this. It says, according to the need of the moment. According, according to the need of, of the moment. Uh, I think of this verse, another verse in Proverbs 25, verse 11. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now, what that's basically saying is it's a beautiful thing, all right? When I think of beautiful things, I don't think of gold apples and, you know, silver frames, but apparently the writer did, all right? What he's saying is when a word is fitly spoken, when it fits the moment, the occasion, the timing is right, it's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. And you all know there's, there's been times in your life when somebody has, in a moment, spoken a word that is, does not fit the moment where you're like, like, why would you say that in this moment, right? And there's other times when someone has said something to you, maybe the smallest little word, and it has been so fitting and encouraging in that moment. That's what the writer is talking about, as it fits the occasion. So make sure your words are both truthful and timely. Truthful and timely. Don't just say, well, it's true, so I'm going to say it. No, is it truthful and timely? That considers, like, that's being sensitive to the hearer. Uh, it requires what I would, you know, what I would call a lot of emotional intelligence, if you've ever heard that phrase. Uh, not IQ, but EQ, emotional uh, intelligence, which means you're, uh, you're self-aware. You're aware of your own emotions. You're aware of the emotions of, of others around you. You're not just consumed with your, yourself. You're aware it requires this kind of thing. Speak only what is EFG, edifying, fitting, and then the third thing is gracious. Only speak what is gracious. Back to Ephesians 4, verse 29. Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, edifying, as fits the occasion, fitting, and then that it may give grace to those who hear. Gracious. Gracious. So what what Paul is saying is that what you say ought to give grace to the hearer. Not condemnation, not, not shame, not a weight upon their shoulders, but it ought to give grace. It ought to give grace. Again, let me go back to my roots, the King James Version. I love the way it translates this. It says that it may minister grace unto the hearers that it may minister grace unto the hearer. So, so speaking in a way where you see your words as, as ministry, that you are ministering grace to those who listen to you. And so here's the question. How do, you, how do you minister to others? And some of you would be like, well, you have to be able to preach, and you have to be able to visit people in the hospital, and you have to know your whole Bible, um, and you have to do all these things. to, to No, here's how, how, here's how you minister to people. You give them God's grace. You show them God's grace. You speak to them words of God's grace. This is ministry. And, and Paul says, hey, only speak what is gracious so that your words, they don't tear down, but they edify. They fit the occasion and they minister grace. People sense the grace of God through your words to them. 
And let me say this, because sometimes for you to communicate uh, in this way, to, to be edifying and, and fitting and, and gracious, means that you, you ought to let your words be few. It, it may not necessarily be about what you are saying, but how you are saying them, that you say things that fit the occasion. And so maybe your words are few, but man, they minister grace to people. And so eliminate corrupt communication, negative, positive. Only speak what is EFG, edifying, fitting, gracious. Let me read a couple quotes to you. Martin Luther, the old reformer, said, we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but we defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. Uh, that, last, that last phrase was the one that gets me, explain everything in the kindest way. I don't always do that, right? Here's what John Owen, the old Puritan, says. The design of this commandment, this ninth commandment, is to preserve the good name and reputation of every man, to deter from falsehood and lies, and to encourage truth and uprightness in our dealings with others. And so this morning, I want to end the way that, that Paul ends this chapter in this passage, Ephesians 4. We've read 28, verse 28 last week, verse 29 this morning. Uh, I want to end by reading verses 30 through 32. Here's what Paul says, Ephesians 4, 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So one of the consequences of, of not speaking in a way that is edifying and fitting and gracious is we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then he goes on in verse number 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All those, those forms of corrupt communication, those unhealthy, untruthful uh, ways that we speak. He says, let those things all be put away from you. Again, negatively. Verse 32, positively says this, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want to read those last few words again. This is the heart of the gospel here. As God in Christ forgave you. So what Paul does here is he gives us gospel motivation. He says that we can, we can live in this way, that he's, he's commanded us to, he's encouraged us to, he's challenged us to in Ephesians 4, not by simply uh, gritting our teeth and white-knuckling it, right? Although I would, I would say this, that it is right for us to give effort to these things. But the point is this, we can only do all of these things by God's grace. We can only do this by God's grace. He has forgiven us in Christ. Here's the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ has made a way for us to have a relationship with God through his death and his burial and his resurrection. He's made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin, to be freed from the penalty and the power of our sin. And so we can receive his kindness, we can receive his tenderness, we can receive his forgiveness, and we can allow that to change us so that we can be empowered to live towards others the way that he has been towards us. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you've been convicted by anything, discouraged, challenged by anything. Maybe you've never put your faith in Christ today. You've never confessed faith in Jesus. I don't know where you're at today, but I want to end by reminding you of this. That whenever God speaks to you, 
whenever you sense that God is, is, is speaking to your heart, God's word is always, 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 always in your life, EFG. It is always edifying. When you sense God speaking to your heart, when he convicts you of sin, when he calls you to himself, it was always for the purpose, not of tearing you down, but to edify you, to build you up, to conform you to the image of Christ. His word is always fitting. It always fits the occasion. Whatever moment you're, you find yourself in your life, it is always fitting. It speaks, speaks right to where you're at, what you need in that very moment. His word to us is always edifying. It's always fitting. And y'all, it is always, always, always gracious. It is always extending grace to us. It is always this invitation to receive grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and freedom. It is always gracious. So maybe this morning God would, has put a, uh, he's spoken a word, a word fitly spoken to you this morning. That's the case, whatever it may be, I want to encourage you to respond. The way that we respond when God speaks to us is, is always repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. We repent, we turn from our way, we turn from our sinful ways, our sinful behavior, our way of life, and we turn towards him in faith. We believe, we receive his forgiveness, we receive his grace, and we follow him. So wherever you're at this morning, if God has spoken a word to you, um, realize it is for your good, it's for his glory. He, he intends to conform you to the image of his son. So maybe it's a hard word, but it's to edify you. It's to build you up and it's, it's fitting. And oh my goodness, it's gracious. How gracious is God to interrupt us on a Sunday morning or at any point in our life and say, hey, I want to draw attention to this because I want you to give your attention to me and to this. And I wanna, I wanna bring you redemption in all of this. And so God, thank you this morning for your ways, for your word and for your ways that you extend to us uh, grace, that you are always working and speaking to us to edify us. It always fits the moment of our life. It is, all, it is never out of place. God, it's always gracious. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to receive your grace and your mercy this morning. God, again, if there's conviction, I pray that you would bring us to repentance today, that we would turn from our sin, we would turn to you in faith. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for making yourself available to us. Lord, help us to live a deeper, more expansive obedience to this. We would delight in blessing your name and blessing those around us. We would honor the reputation of others. We would speak truthful talk. We would eliminate corrupt communication. We would only speak in ways that are edifying and fitting and gracious. God, we love you. Thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.